And uh, he'll introduce his wife, Susan, I think. And uh, praise the Lord, we're glad that you're here. Good evening. Wow, what an honor to be here. Uh, that's my beautiful wife, Susan. Can you stand up, please? She's, she's from Indiana. I'm, everybody that sees me and, and looks at me, they say, okay, this guy is Indian or Pakistani. But I was born in Iran. Would you put up the slides, please? And uh, I met your beautiful, handsome pastors about a month and a half ago, and they prayed for us, prophesied, and then they invited us, so I'm excited to be here. I was watching uh, a conference at a Bible college that have, I have finished in Woodland Park called Caris Bible College, and there's a conference going on called Truth and Liberty. And um, they have these famous speakers, General Boykin and this and that, and then Congresswoman Bobert stands up and says, I come from New Creation Church, and my pastor, Mark and Tosh, I'm like, hallelujah. <laughs> I know those people. So you may think this little building with this little people here, you might, you, what can you do? That's the exciting part of it. That's the exciting part of it. What you can do. Look, you're touching Washington, D.C. with all of its Jezebels. Hallelujah. That's powerful. So I'm excited to be here. Are you excited to be here? I brought you a copy of my book called Forsaking My Father's Religion. Amish people uh, looked at my book and they said, there are some Amish people that they have converted, left Amishism to Christianity. And they said, oh, we forsook our father's religion. And they related to my story. I will tell, tell you about my story. So we're Iranians, not Iranians. Some of you, if you're from Texas, you say Iranian, but either one is fine, as long as we're on the same page. So if you go out of this door, we have a table. This is the book. You may think, you may think now, this is not a book, it's booklet. I knew you're not going to read. I knew that. 97% of the people in the world, when they pick up a book, they do not pass the first chapter. So I wrote a book that is one chapter. <laughs> we have a deal? So make sure you get a free copy of my book. Enough of this funny stuff. If you go out the door, um, the books are for free. Iranians, whenever they go... If you remember the story of the three magis or magis that went, followed the star, went over Bethlehem to worship Jesus, they were Iranians, those three kings, and they took enough gifts for Jesus that could sustain him for the rest of his life. So the three Iranians that they went, visited him. Have you heard the people say, well, Jesus didn't have a house. 
to lay his head. It was a poor guy. And, you know, this poor Jesus rabbi, he had enough gifts as, at his birth that sustained him through his ministry. But what you take to the king as your gift and offering, he will multiply it and give it back to you because he doesn't need our gifts. He needs our faithfulness. So make sure you get one of these books. They're really good. Uh, and if you go with me to the book of Mark chapter 5. The story is odd about this guy that is in the chapter 5 of the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles, it's good when you go to church, take a Bible. Some of you have phones. Don't check your texts, emails. Go to book of Mark chapter 5. There's a story of, a, uh, if you look at the um, starting of the chapter, it says a demon-possessed man healed. We call him, we call this guy because he had legions of de demons. He has a very unique story. I'm going to uh, read some of the verses and then parallel my story with this guy. And you realize that. Every word of this book has a specific reason. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarians, talks, talking about the disciples. And when he, he is capitalized, the H is capitalized, is talking about Jesus. When Jesus had come out of the boat... Immediately there, met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. First thing, remember, there is a tomb that a man is meeting Jesus out of. That tomb is very important. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. This guy's dwelling, this guy's place of living is in the tombs. And no one could bind him. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with the stones. What an odd story. Somebody that is dwelling is in the tombs, crying out, wailing, and cutting himself with the stones. I come, from an, I come from a country that is in the Middle East. If you look at it, that country in the middle called Iran, with, with a percentage of 90 to 95% Shia Muslims. That's the country I come from. When I was born in 1984, the country was fighting against Iraq. If you look right on the western side, on the left side of the borders, is the country of Iran, Iran and the country of Iraq. And then these two countries were fighting, and I was, was born in the middle of this war. So they called our generation the generational war. I remember when I was two, three years old, my mom would cover me under her veil 
to protect me from the bombs that was coming to our city. Would you go to the next one? That's our city. This is the city of Tehran. That's where I uh, was born and raised. 15 million population. It looks like Denver, but Denver uh, times five. Would you go to the next? That's not who we are, okay? <laughs> that is not who we are. If you do not understand my English, <laughs> let me tell you something. It's important because I've heard people say, you guys ride camels and sword dance? I tell them, no, that's not who we are. <laughs> when I came here nine years ago um, as a religious refugee, after hours of travel, I arrived in the city of Seattle. That was where I was placed. And then my uh, Vietnamese uh, caseworker came, picked me up, and said, are you hungry, food? I said, yes, food. He took me to Subway. <laughs> Have you eaten in Subway? <laughs> you know, you go to Subway, and then they ask you what kind of bread. And then I looked at the menu up there in the Subway. I said, number four. And then he said, six inch or foot long? I look at my foot. Why is he talking about my foot? I want a sandwich. I said, number four. He said, six inch or foot long? Louder. I'm like, foot? No foot, sir. Sandwich. So if you don't understand, it's because it's been nine years and English is my third language. And if you count speaking in tongues, actually number four. That's my family. The boy in the blue is me. And would you go to the next one? That's my uh, dad's side of the family. Remember, we're at war, and I'm born in the generation that they call it the generational war. We're fighting against Sunni Muslim of Iraq. Shia Muslim is killing Sunni Muslim, and they both claim that they are going to paradise. They say we are martyrs. We died in jihad. We died in war. So this family, that's my grandmother, my uncle, two of my aunts. They actually ushered, would you go to the next one? They actually ushered my uncle is kissing, the man is that is kissing in the middle of the picture. He's, he's kissing his comrades for the last time to go to the war. At this time, this man has two, um, four small children, and he says, telling my dad, when this is going to be the last time you'll see me, I'm going to lay my life down in war. And that's what happened to him. So he died. He was turned to pieces. He became a martyr, a person that dies in jihad, in a war. And growing up in that kind of environment, imagine what they would require from you as a boy in that kind of family. We pray five times a day. As Muslims fasted during the month of Ramadan and all of that. But those are very little requirements of the Islamic law. The main purpose is to defend and advance Islam. So I'm trying to be a good Muslim. But as a good Muslim, I, I fail and I sin. How do we deal with our sin now? 
I want you to hear me. How do you deal with your sin as a Muslim when you sin? In the Shia sect of Islam, that where we come from, we pay for our sins. We ourselves, we humiliate ourselves. We shed tears and blood for it to pay for it. We pay penance. Catholics do it. A lot of sects and a lot of religions do it. We do it as Shia Muslim. But our version is a little extreme. Would you go to the back to the next slide? So if you look, that's, those are chains. They weigh about 5 to 10 pounds. Sometimes they carry blades and glasses to those chains. And you beat your back with them. Would you go to the next one? Uh, show it. No, uh, there's a video. And then, can you show that? I want you to see it. And then there is, in, the, in, a, in, a, in this kind of a gathering, in the, in, in the sect of Islam that I come from, it's of course only men. The men are half naked, gather in a room or a shrine or a mosque. They're half naked. There is someone that provokes the crowd with wailing and crying and mourning because you're sinful, you need to pay for it. So this has a rhyme. If we can get the video, that would be wonderful. If not, I would explain it to you. So this man that are gathering, they are half naked. Someone like an imam, a Muslim scholar, recites a eulogy and the, that recitation has rhymes, it has beats. And with those beats, Muslims, they start beating themselves on their, on, your, on, on their chests or on their back or on their faces. They beat themselves so much that they bruise and bleed and bleed. That's how we paid for our sin. Would you go back to the next one? It looks like that. Like that. So you beat your chest so much that you start bruising and bleeding. That's the way that the, with the shedding of your own blood, you cleanse yourself from this unrighteousness, from the sins that you have committed. And you're humiliating yourself that you do not sin anymore. But I remember the more of this practice I did, the worse it became, the more desperate I was. And then there's another method of doing this self-flagellation. There's another method of beating yourself. This time you take a sword to your head. Would you go to the next one? That's a Muslim imam. That's a person that stands and somebody kneels and with the rhymes of this eulogy, they hit your head with that sword. I remember when, I, when the first time I did it, I knelt in front of an imam and this, this gentleman wiped the blood of the, of the sword from the a previous person, and I knelt in front of them, and we recited those names, you, you chant. And with those, he landed that sword several times to my head. I could hear the strikes in my head, and the blood was running the side of my head. That's what happens to your head. I'm sorry you have to see it, but I carry the scars on my head. And would you go to the next one? We don't want to keep that picture up too long. And after doing all of that, I remember 
Nine days in a row, I went every evening beating myself to pay for my sins, to get rid of my sin, beating, bruising myself, cutting myself. Nine days in a row. On the 10th day, on the 10th day, I couldn't get out of bed and go beat myself more. I was so broken. I was so, so broken that when I breathed, my chest hurt, my heart hurt, hurt, and I couldn't get out of bed to go beat myself. And I said to myself, what kind of a Muslim are you that you cannot fulfill what is the least? Finished high school. It's mandatory to serve the military service in Iran. So I was, as a religious Muslim, I was picked for Revolutionary Guard of Iran, IRG, and it is a terrorist organization. President Trump recognized that organization, that branch of the army in Iran as a terrorist organization. So, you remember the story of Paul? He was a terrorist too. He went around, read the book of Acts, chasing Christians, killing them in the name of the Lord. He was a terrorist too. Is there hope? Is there hope? That's the story of redemption. So inside that uh, boot camp and the two years that I served, I joined another, you think this craziness will stop one of these days. And then you say, sometimes, you know, we say, the person that is doing something stupid or crazy, we say, why didn't, why didn't he stop? Why didn't, why they don't realize that they're mistaking? Why didn't wake up? So I'm in the military service. I joined another movement called On the Path to Light. This time... You remember where our country and the country of Iraq are located? They took us with the buses to the south and southwest of Iran, to the border of Iraq. And when we arrived, the movement is called On the Path to Light, the irony. And then they said we're soldiers, so they told us to take off our boots. They said this is the holy ground. It's been watered by the blood of the martyrs. So we took, our, took off our boots, and they said we need to reunite our spirit with the spirit of martyrdom, with the spirit of jihad. We need to keep up this spirit of fighting, because we need to defend Islam. We need to advance Islam. So we did that, and then the part of the training, while we were there, there's empty tombs and graves. Remember the story? In the book of Marx, there is empty tombs and graves in the border that the martyrs use when they died, they put them in those. They said, now we need you guys to sleep in these empty tombs and graves during the night to fight the fear of death. That's how you spiritually and emotionally are prepared. For a greater purpose than yourself. That you can face 
death and not be afraid of it. That was the part of the training. Thank God the story does not finish like that because it's a sad story. I came back home. The more religious I became, the more desperate and hopeless I was. I tried to break out of this cycle of sinning and self-flagellation and praying and repenting and then sinning again. But what is the solution? Nothing is helping. Everything this religion offers makes your life more miserable. Called a friend of mine. He, um, he and me, we grow up together and then we went to school off and on and then when I was selected for military service, he had flat feet. So he was medically exempt. So when I was away, I didn't know what is he doing with his life. So I called him up. His name is Rasul. Rasul in Farsi means the apostle. So I called Rasul, good Muslim, friend of mine. And about 10, 15 minutes talking to this guy, I realized he's very different. This guy is changed. He is so mellow. There is a light coming out of his face. He is just very, very strange. You know, I'm like, he hasn't been to this Colorado pot shops <laughs> to get mellowed out. What is the formula? What is this piece? It was bothering me. So I asked him, can you tell me what is the reason for this peace? Where does this peace come from? He said, no, it's all good and all that. I said, no, it's bothering me. What is the matter with you? What is the drug? I know I need to know the medicine. Where is this thing? I need it. And then he said, well, you're asking. I became a Christian. In your wonderful Western mindset... Well, you can become an athlete, you can become a doctor, you can become a congresswoman, you can become whatever, become a Christian. But in the mindset of a Muslim, you don't become anything. Everything is fate. You're preordained, predestined. There is no breaking out of this. I'm, I become Christian. It didn't make any sense. So if theologically, philosophically, if you can become something out of what is your fate, you're more powerful than God. So I'm interested to know what is the meaning of becoming Christian. So he started explaining, Jesus did this for me, miracles of God, hallelujah. <laughs> I am getting really bothered now. You could see the vein on my throat. I mean, I am really getting bothered, and I'm just arguing with him. Everything he said went right over my head, right over my head. It just, as you can see, I have ears, but I could not hear. I couldn't. Everything he said went over. But he said one thing that changed my life. One thing. He said, didn't you ask 
the reason for this change, for this peace. I'm telling you, this Jesus. Why are you upset? This is a heated conversation, two hours. Why are you upset? And then he said, Jesus was bruised. He was beaten. He was crucified. His precious blood was shed. And he gave up his life. And if you believe in that, you will have eternal life. That is the one best thing I've ever heard in my life. Everything I was trying to accomplish as a person in this fake religion, this diabolical religion called Islam, it was all exposed that moment. I was beating myself. I was cutting myself. I was bruising myself. I was shedding my own blood. I was going to be sacrificed. Give up my life to have eternal life. He said, it is already finished in the person of Jesus Christ. And that one sentence, it wasn't any more intellectual debate. Something went to my heart. Every lie was exposed. And I understood it. What I'm trying to do is not helping. Out of desperation. Absolute and utter desperation. I fell on my knees and I begged him. What do I need to do? I begged the man, what do I need to do to have what you have? He said, I want you to close your eyes and, and ask Jesus to come to your life. Be forgiving your sin and become the Lord, become the Savior. I said, I need to ask God. Yeah, he said. He said, he's a gentleman. If you're in my home, you want to go to the bathroom, you ask me. Where's the bathroom? Can I go to the bathroom? And I permit you. He said, you have to permit God to come to your life. None of it made any sense. The God I served, his name was Allah. He didn't ask me a question. He didn't need permission. He's a dictator sitting there, and he has a slaves. This God asked me to have permission. They must not be the same. So I closed my eyes, and I said, Jesus, would you forgive my sin and become the Lord of my life? And I opened my eyes. For the first time in 23 years, I could see colors. It's amazing. The brawling inside, the war that was going on inside, that I never felt peace, that cancerous, hateful tumor with what, which was within me, it was yanked out of me that second. And the war was finished. I know, I knew it. God is pleased with me. I was working years after years after years to earn it. God, would you be drawn nigh to me? Would you come closer? And he couldn't. He wouldn't. 
But when I, in that moment I made Jesus my Lord and my Savior, the war was over. And I felt peace. And I asked my friend, what, what just happened? He said, Jesus came to your life. I said, what does that mean? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he was a convert two months himself. He was clueless. And I said, so you're the first Muslim converted to Christianity. I'm the second one. He said, that's how oblivious we were. But so he said, uh, this, is, this is what happens. But I had a challenge that moment. I just, it, a feeling was great. The experience was amazing. But did really Jesus die for me? So I went on a journey to find this out. I went to the church for the first time in the city of 15 million people in 2006. There used to be four churches that hosted Armenians, not Iranians, because Muslims are not allowed in the churches. So when, when, when the first time I went to a church, that's a long story, running out of time. I walked through this uh, gates to go inside the sanctuary, and I had an encounter with the glory of God. Have you heard of the glory cloud? I have tasted it. It's so good. Something came around me and just wrapped me. It was tsunami of God's love. And then inside myself two times I heard that you're home. You're home. I was lost, but I found I was, what I was found. Pastor, we're running out of time. I want to be invited back, though. So, <laughs> so the, after that encounter, the church started praise and worship. And then somebody played the guitar, somebody played the piano, and they were clapping hands and all that. And I was sitting back in that, um, back in that church, and then in that moment, I realized these people does not, they don't worship like what we worship. They're playing music, they're clapping hands, and there's something about them that was missing in the Muslim world, in the religion that I came from. They were singing, yes, Jesus, you did it for me. You left glory, you left heaven. Yes, you did it for me. You gave up your glory. You gave up your riches. Yes, you did it for me. And you gave up your life. You were buried. Yes, you did it for me. But the sentence that you were resurrected gave him a hope that did not exist in Islam. Every Muslim leader, every Muslim prophet, every Muslim imam, they came, they died, they buried them, they built a shrine over their tomb because they never were resurrected. So there is no hope. There's always crying and wailing. There's always mourning. But these Christians were clapping hands and celebrating because he's resurrected. I said, that's the difference. And then when I, and after the church service, we went down the stairs. And uh, this gentleman out of 
friend of mine that talked to me about the Lord, out of his pocket, bought me a New Testament in Farsi. It's an illegal book. And he said, this is the living word of God written for you. If you read it, it will change your life. I looked at him. What do they say? What are these people? Living word of God written for me? If I read it, it's going to change my life. But I'm on the journey to know. So I took my New Testament home. Friday was the church service. Friday is the day off in Iran. Friday through Friday, in this one week, I went through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Five times each. I cannot put the book down. I'm like, what kind of book is this? It talks to you. When did they write this? The Lord Jesus himself is my witness. I thought someone was walking around all of these years studying my story, studying my life, and writing this book personally for me. I said, it must be those evil Jews. They're manipulating me. I'm going to go expose them. And with that mind, I went. I went to the church. I looked at people's Bibles. I asked them, sir, can I look at your Bible? They said, yeah. Look, look, mine is just looks just the same. Just looks like exactly the same. Verb for verb, word for word. I'm like, sir, this book talks to you? He says, yeah. I'm like, what kind of book is this? And then he would show the passages that is talking to him. I'm like, what kind of book is this that talks to different people differently? I give you one of those passages that changed my life. Come to me who all labor and are weary. And I will give you rest. I looked at the book. I said, how do you know I'm laboring and I'm weary? And I have to come to you that I get rest. And later on, this passage that we are reading in the book of Mark chapter 5. The man's dwelling among the tombs and is cutting himself with stones. He might be a Muslim. It's right there. And look what happens. When Jesus... Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of most high God? I implore you by God, yet you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of a man, unclean spirit. Verse 9. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, My name is Legion. And look at verse 16. So the man is healed, delivered from the demonic spirits. Verse 16. And those who saw saw it, saw the miracle, told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. 17. Then they began to plead with him. The him is capitalized. They began to plead with Jesus to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with Jesus. However, 
Jesus did not permit him. What an odd story. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And he had and he has had compassion on you. And he departed. He obeyed. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all that Jesus has done for him. And all marveled. If you this evening you're marveling at the mighty work of redemption. When I was reading this passage of scripture, the Lord told me, I have done something really amazing for you. And I want you to go and tell people about it. So the reason I'm here, it's because I obeyed. I said, I will go and tell people what you have done for me. Would you go back five, six slides? That's about my story of how God has redeemed mine. One more. One more. Beautiful. So this, um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the ministry and what we are doing. Because the promise of Abraham was to his seed. And whoever believes in that seed will inherit the promises of Abraham. Make it simple. God will bless you that you be a blessing. God has blessed me not to enjoy the blessing. Yes, that's one part of it, but he wants me to be a blessing. That's exactly for you. God has blessed you to be a blessing. That's the promise. That is the, uh, if you look at that survey that was done, that survey was done in June of 2020. Very recent. That is the spiritual situation of the Iranians, the Iranians. Less than one-third claiming to be Muslim. If you, look, if, you, if you watch fake news, oh, excuse me, uh, Fox News, uh, they tell you that Iranians are a bunch of terrorists and this and that and all of that. So, but if you look at what is going on in Iran, less than one-third, they claim, if you ask them, they claim to be Muslims. 22%, they say, we're non-religion. Atheist, one out of 10. Zoroastrian, an ancient, that's about 8%. And a whole lot of other things. So what happened in 1979, the Islamic Revolution, the Ayatollah, uh, if you remember some of you, too young, but some of you, no, in 1979, Jimmy Carter was president. Jimmy Biden, oh, excuse me, Joe Biden <laughs> was a senator then. These two, this party, this uh, Democratic Party, they decided to dethrone the monarch, the king of Iran, and hand it over to Muslims. They just did it again. History repeats itself. When, where, when, just two months ago, Afghanistan was turned over to Taliban. By who? By Joe Biden. But he represents a school of thought. It's not one person. 
I'm not going to get too political on you, but that's a fact. He's a party. Decides that we need some other people to run another country. And we have all the military, all the influence, all the money. We do it. So they did it to Iranians in 1979. And Ayatollah, I have spoken to the Pentagon's uh, staff on that flight that they delivered the Ayatollah of Iran, the Ayatollah Khomeini. They took him from Paris and delivered it to Tehran that they caused a revolution. And we thought, holy mackerel, you remember the hostage situation? Terrible stuff happened. We're like, Iran went from bad to worse. But God, hallelujah. The most amazing evangelist to the Muslim world was this brutal Ayatollah. Most amazing evangelist. How? He introduced to this Iranian people, 80 million people, he, he introduced Islam to them, tooth and nail. All of it. The Taliban version of Islam was introduced, the Sharia of Islam. And the Iranians, after about 20 years, they realized this is the religion of the 7th century Bedouin Arab. We're a bunch of civilized Persians. We have King Cyrus, we have King Darius. What are we doing with all of this? So they got distant from the religion. They didn't want to do anything with Muslims. But what was the alternative? What is the alternative if it's not Islam? What is it? So this caused an awakening that the people are so dis, um, discomfort. How do you say the word discomfort? No. They're uncomfortable. Duh. The people become so uncomfortable with this religion, with this corrupt Islamic system, that they are open to other thoughts. Would you go back, would you go to the next slide? So that is the city of Istanbul. That is the street that we go to. There's about 300,000 Iranians travel to this city to come to go shopping and all that. So that's our team actually, the people with the backpack. That's how you know who we are because we carry backpacks with Bibles in it. Would you go to the next slide? So those are the Bibles that we are praying for. And then we put these uh, New Testaments in our backpacks, and we meet these Iranians on the streets that are so disillusioned with Islam. Would you go to the next one? These are the backpacks and shopping things that we have the New Testaments in it. Would you go to the next one? That's a mosque, one of the biggest mosques in Istanbul. At the foot of the mosque, that's our team in the corner. They're leading Muslims to the Lord. Last, it's been um, se seven, no, eight weeks. About two months ago, we were there, distributed 2,000 New Testaments among Iranians. Conservatively, <laughs> glory to God. Conservatively, about 40 of them gave their heart right in front of ours. Conservatively, because there are a lot of them, they convert, but if we don't see that the countenance change or the Spirit of God move, we won't count them. Because we come from that background, we see something happens. Miraculous. Would you go to the next one? 
I love this passage of scripture. Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. It says, so Philip ran to him and heard him regarding the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? They get the New Testament, they're reading it, but they don't understand. Look what happens. And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? So we are there to give him a New Testament and guide him in the meaning of this passage. And they are converting like crazy. If you look up on Google, I don't believe whatever it's written on Google except this one thing. <laughs> If you search on Google, where is the fastest evangelical growing church in the world? Iran is number one. There is an absolute, absolute revival, absolute miraculous work of God is happening. Would you go to the next one? Look at them. Muslims are getting baptized. That's on 9-11, the picture on the right. I baptized seven people on 9-11. Would you go to the next one? And we eat baklava when we are in Turkey. <laughs> so if you want to have baklava, uh, you can sign up and you can go with us to Turkey. <laughs> I bring you back, okay? <laughs> Dead or alive, I'm not sure, but I'll bring you back now. <laughs> It's fairly safe. So I'm going to just finish with this uh, one thing that God is doing something really amazing. Sometimes we get so uh, concerned about the things that it's in our lives that we don't look up or look out. But God is truly doing something amazing in our time. I believe with all of my heart, brothers and sisters, I've been in this country nine years, but I believe with all of my heart, we're in the third great awakening I really believe that. I talk to Americans all over. Nine years ago, it was all about campfires and singing Kumbaya. But that has changed. People are waking up in this country. God is not done with this country. I want to tell you that. Abraham argued with God if we have 50 righteous. I, I There is more than 50 righteous sitting in this room. So God is not done with America. Don't, don't listen to this doom and gloom. The uh, 11, no, it was 10. The 10 spies network. You remember? 12 people went in. 10 of them, they said, oh, we cannot do anything. It's over. We're going to die. It, That's the CNN and all of them. <laughs> That's him. The Tennis Spies Network. The CDC. Oh, if you get this virus, oh my goodness, you better put the mask up. It, it sounds more like KGB to me than CDC. So God is not done because... In, in Matthew 24, 14, it says, until all 
heard the kingdom, heard the gospel of this kingdom, the end will not come. Yes. So, last verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded. That he is, he is capitalized. Jesus is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I want to ask you a question. Have you committed your life to him? Have you committed your life? Because if you commit your life to him, he's able to keep it to the day. That's all I had to say. If you commit your life, your prodigals, your business, your families, if you commit to him, he's able to keep it to the day. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Yes. Lift up your hands to heaven. Father, I bless this people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I bless this people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you talk to them, as they have heard the report that you lift up their spirit in hope, in faith, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know the needs, the desires of their heart. I ask you to meet them in a mighty way. In a mighty way. That today is the day that they say, God, I commit my life. I commit my future. I commit my purposes. My goals, all of it. God, I commit it to you because you're able to keep. You keep, you better, you're able to keep it a lot better than me. I trust it into your hands. You're an awesome God. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Hallelujah. Your pastor is the boss. He wants me to share one more thing. So the meeting starts again. Hallelujah. My name is Muhammad Faridi. And I'm your friend. So... Have you, you, you have heard a lot about visions and dreams that the Muslim have. So we're on the streets. Is it true? Because a lot of these people say, well, this is for the old Asian book. So we are on the streets of Istanbul talking to people. We approach this lady. We say, hello, ma'am. Are you Iranian? Yes, I'm Iranian. We have the living word of God. This book has changed our life. It's, if you read it, it's going it's to change your life. And she said, that's interesting. We're like, why is it interesting? She said, I was with a friend of mine yesterday. She's a Christian. Christian means Armenian in, in our 
language means you're born a Christian, not a convert. That doesn't mean much. She said, I was, a bit, I was with a Christian friend of mine yesterday. And then this Christian friend, I, I went to their home. And they had wine and a loaf of bread. And I said, can I participate in that? She said, no, you can't. My pastor has prayed for this. This is a holy bread. You can't have it. She gets offended, brokenhearted, goes home. So think with me. We're talking to her today. This happened yesterday. She sleeps with a broken heart, this Muslim woman. The Lord appears to her in a dream. Brings a whole loaf of bread. <laughs> My daughter, eat of this from all of it. We're in the streets next day. She said, I had that dream. I want to know about that loaf of bread and that man. We said, yes. We're exactly here for that. <laughs> we told her in the book of John, he's the bread of life. If you eat of him, you will never hunger. Do you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior? She said, yes. Evangelism made easy. <laughs> and there is a whole lot of stuff like that. It is so amazing that how, how many times we meet people that they had dreams and visions, open visions or dreams of the Lord that appears to them and tells them to go to some place. When Apostle Paul was on his horse, he was knocked down. And then the Lord tells him, tells him to go see somebody. But when he talked to the somebody, you remember the person? What was his name, Pastor? Ananias? You sure it was Ananias? I think it was something else. In Farsi, is different. So the Lord appears to Paul. Paul is blinded. He appears to Ananias. Ananias, go tell Paul about me, and he needs his sight back. Ananias says, but Lord, I can't do this. Those Muslims, bunch of terrorists. He has called you and me to tell those people who he is. I love you guys. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glad you came. Amen. There is so much in that to unpack. I believe that even that, as you begin to pray, God's going to open up things to you. And certainly we can look at that place and gain some understanding, but, you know, God always wants us to be free. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's not about but it's understanding the blood of Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily make it, you know, uh, from a, a mental standpoint easy, but to realize he already did this. I don't have to beat myself up over all of this. His blood was shed for me. And because of that, as he said, we commit our life to him. And he's able. He's able to keep and guard and take care of all of those things. 
Praise the Lord. It's just amazing. And really what they're doing, he showed what they're doing going uh, into Turkey and the Iranians who are, are coming out of Turkey and they're able to come and go. They're ministering to them. They're going back in. And the church in Iran is growing faster than any church. And so, again, we don't really hear that on the news because we hear one slant. But God. But God. Amen? And so sometimes, you know, and I, I, you know, one of the things that when he was sharing with us and, you know, just what we can know limitedly by information that he opens up and shares, but he said that, you know, we can just start getting into life, whether it's our life and we're, we're looking down and just grinding away and just trying to make it, or we're just listening to things that are going on. Jesus said, lift up your head. Lift up your head. And look, the fields are white unto harvest. And so, I, you know, in my heart, and certainly I believe God's going to do things that are beyond that, but for us to look and say, you know what, how can we, uh, you know, after hearing that word, how can we participate and be a blessing to what they're doing? But also be stirred to understand that, you know, that sacrifice or that, that understanding, you know, his, what, what struck me, and I asked him about this when we went, I said, your friend told you about Jesus, and you are still you know, Muslim, and I said, could he, could you have gotten mad and went and reported him? And he said, absolutely. And I, and it would have meant death. And so he took a risk of really offending him. He said they had a two-hour conversation that was heated. His friend had changed. He took a risk of offending him. In our culture, if we're not careful, we always, oh, as Christians, don't offend anyone. But at the same time, we're carrying the light of the glorious gospel. We're carrying something that he didn't just go, oh, that's it. I'm in. He said, wait a minute. Back and forth, back and forth. But he stayed with him. He stayed loving him, explaining to him really that ministry of reconciliation. God's not holding your sin against you. Some people, their sin is being held against them. They're thinking, how am I going to deal with my sin, my mistakes, and laboring and all of that. But to just tell them, God's not holding your sin against you. Jesus did all that. Everything you're doing to try to get out of it, to pay for it, to escape it, to be under the burden of that, Jesus already did that. So you can come out and be free and have a relationship with him. So we want to support them, but we also want to, I, I trust that that stirred your heart to say, you know what, I can do that. I can share the love of God. I can share the joy. I can share that, that, that light of life that's in me with those people around me, and it will make a difference. Amen, it'll make a difference. Well, the Bible says if we were taught the word to communicate with the teacher in all good things. So we want to be a blessing to Amin and Susan uh, to them, to their ministry, what God's called them to do. They've been a How many of you were blessed tonight? Impacted. The Bible says, you know what, I put gifts in people, and they share, they share the testimony, they share the word of God, and it impacts, it gets imparted into us. And he says, if I've sent somebody to impart something spiritual to you that'll go on beyond this day, it'll take you beyond today into a place, then uh, is it any big deal that we share with that person in our natural substance, that they've come freely to share of the spiritual things with us. 
And so, as you've said, I've been impacted. I've received something that's impacted my life spiritual. Then we have an opportunity to share of natural things with them. But, you know, God will always take that natural seed and he'll do something supernatural with it. And so we share something natural, but God again, in turn, turns it into something supernatural to bless their life. But if it also takes them back and more, 40 more or more than that, Muslims are changed and give their life to Jesus. Your natural just turned into something spiritual, lives being changed. So God can always take something that we have given to him, multiply it, make it supernatural. And so if we look at the value of those things, we say it's no big deal to share something natural because we've received something supernatural. But in turn, what seed we sow turns into something far greater than we could ever imagine. Amen? So if you're making that check, make it out to New Creation Church. We'll make sure they get all this. If you're giving cash or by cash or debit or credit card, one tax receipt. If you're giving, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. Praise the Lord. And then uh, are you going to be out at your table? All right, so um, you can ask them a little bit about uh, if you're interested. I don't know how, how we go about this, but about teams, about what you're doing over there, whatever. Uh, so you can just find out a little bit more of what they're doing for prayer, uh, for whatever. We'll try to talk to them a little bit more about what they're doing. I know that here in just a couple of weeks, you're going, Scott's, Scott are going back. and it's go, So Scott Beerman's going with them, and we support the Beermans. And so you got seed in them going back, people's lives being changed. Uh, but you can uh, talk just a little bit more with them, and uh, praise the Lord. Awesome. God's good. You all ready? Amen. Father, we just thank you. Uh, we thank you for the call that is upon the Faridi's life. We thank you that uh, just the message of your goodness and how you're moving amongst people that we might not even imagine because you are so good, and you desire that all men, all men be saved and come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. For every Iranian, every Muslim to come to know you personally. You desire that our neighbors, the people that we work with, our bosses, the people that we look at that seem like they don't know or believe anything, you want them to come to know you in all your goodness. That they might know you as Lord and Savior of their life. So we thank you, Lord, for what you've called them to do in sharing that message of the gospel throughout the world. Thank you for what they've shared with us. Let it stay with us. Let it stir our hearts even more. Let's open up and see what you've called us to do and where you've called us to go. Our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So we thank you. For tonight, we thank you for what you've shared and the opportunity to be here. And now we thank you for the opportunity to communicate in our giving, sowing seed into what they're doing in the earth, into their lives, into the gospel. We thank you for that. And as we sow, Father, I thank you that the blessings of the word of God come upon each one, overtake them. I thank you, Lord, or doors of opportunity will open for them to increase I thank you you'll multiply the seed that they've sown. You'll multiply the food. You'll multiply their generosity. And God, that in that generosity, thanksgiving will go up to God. I thank you today as we're generous. The gospel goes forth. People will thank you 
when they receive the word and salvation, that we'll have a part in those lives that are so thankful that they've come to know Jesus. And I thank you in that you just continue to increase us in all that we do for the kingdom of God, all that we're able to do. So we command blessing upon each and every one as they give. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and pass those buckets.